0: Welcome to Top in Tech, Global Council's weekly podcast on global tech policy and regulation. My name's Conan Darcy, I am the regular host of this podcast and a senior practice director at Global Council. Today we're going to talk through the EU's recently published patents package. Part of that is the reform of standard essential patents, SEPs, and it's a topic which pits different parts of Europe and indeed the global tech telecoms and wider industry against each other. Promises to be a major source of controversy in EU tech policy for the coming year and further beyond that. So I'm delighted that today I'm joined by Jack Keevil, a senior associate in GC's Brussels office, who's been following this very closely over the years and is going to take us through what's been proposed, what is the controversy and where this might go in the coming months and years. So welcome Jack, Let's just start with the package itself. So, Jack, can you just talk us through, talk listeners through, what is exactly that the Commission has proposed on these so-called SEPs?
1: I think we should best start by um, talking a little bit about SEPs themselves, because it's uh, their characteristics which give rise to the you know, sort of the dynamics and some of the perceived problems that the Commission has sought to to solve in the proposal. So SCPs are patents that are deemed to be essential to a technical standard. Um, typically, when we talk about standards here, that's connectivity standards like 5G, 6G, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, and any future ones that, 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 are, that are developed. Um, and this quality of essentiality of these patents creates a particular dynamic when it comes to negotiating licenses to use the intellectual property, as the companies who want to implement them in their products have to use them if they want to use very fundamental connectivity technology, um, especially when these products, you know, we, think, we can think of mobile phone handsets, connected cars, connected devices, and so on and so forth. Um, and over time, uh, certain practices and conventions have been developed to manage this, this dynamic extension, such as the obligation to license on FRAND terms. So it's fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory. And there's also a body of case law in various jurisdictions on things like when injunctions can be sought. Uh, There's also a a perception which, uh, to come back to what the commission is doing, um, which the commission seems to share, um, that parties involved in these negotiations often end up resorting to lengthy and costly litigation to resolve disputes. So the the kind of short version of what the commission is trying to do, having observed this uh, this situation, um, is they've decided that the existing system needs a bit of an overhaul and, and they want to do this and they say they're doing this. In, in the name of protecting European SMEs from excessive fees that can result from either this litigation or perhaps uh, patent holders who are trying to use this essentiality to, um, to to extract more money from their from their possible customers. In terms of what they've actually done for this, um, the Commission has proposed a new regulation that would create uh, well, as sort of four key aspects. It would create an electronic register and database of SCPs. It would uh, implement a system for assessing the essentiality of SEPs, a process for determining FRAND, or the FRAND fees, and um, it would administer a system for uh, for determining an aggregate royalty rate. And all this would come under the sort of aegis, the purview of the EU Intellectual Property Office, which until now has had a very limited role in, in this area. So just to pick out a couple of
0: bits from what you've talked us through there, Jack, Firstly, I guess is the point that we should just reinforce here, that this is quite a litigious area of commercial arrangement. So a lot ends up in courts, which obviously takes a lot of time, energy, and resource and money uh, from the companies involved, and may have a chilling effect in various different ways about the expansion of these and use of these uh, technologies. The second is that we're talking not only about sort of current consumer technologies like mobile handsets, but you mentioned connected cars there as well, so it's also the way in which this system works underpins the rollout of these future and emerging applications that are going to underpin mobility and connectivity over the coming uh, years and decades. So quite an important, uh, important part of that chain and how it all fits together. But what we haven't quite got into from that, Jack, is just that all sounds fairly reasonable, sounds fairly clear uh, and measured in the way that you talked us through it. But it's clearly extremely controversial. So, can you just inform us about why is it controversial, and you know, what's at stake for these companies that you've referred to?
1: So, here this is going to be a very sort of you know frustrating experience for a podcast host who's trying to get out you know straight to the straight to the the meaty controversy bits because we always have to kind of we have to start from the the kind of uh, premise that actually there's not much that is agreed. There's lots of um, lots of notions which are kind of contested in one way or another, um, and lots of context which also needs to be understood. So I think the, where we start is that um, the whole pr- sort of the nature of the business of determining appropriate frand fees is a very complicated business. Um, very often include, involves negotiations between the holders of the IP and the implementers. Um, secondly, that determining the essentiality of a patent is also not in any sense a straightforward exercise. Um there are all kind of all kinds of pitfalls along the way. You need to hire teams you know, if the companies would have uh teams of specialized lawyers who've done this for their whole careers to help them sort of go to to go safely through this uh these sort of treacherous waters. And even then the, the results can vary across jurisdictions. So given this kind of very complicated picture, um what is then at stake? Well Actually, this is quite simple because at stake for the patent holder or the innovator is their bottom line. It's uh, you know, licensing tech is usually a major part of their business and the royalties they get from doing so are obviously their income. For the implementer on the other hand, also fairly simple. This is a question of costs. Um, if the lower, you know, the lower the fees for the IP that they want to use in their products, then from their point of view, the better. So you have the, the complexity of the system and the business, business critical nature of the issue is a recipe for controversy um certainly and as far as legislative in- intervention is concerned because that can often be a very sort of blunt tool for a very sort of delicately balanced uh, complex ecosystem uh further there's a, there's little that is not contested in the world of S- scp licensing um they might even you know people would would dispute for instance the whether whether it's even problematic that there's so much litigation or is there even so much litigation all these questions are kind of um very much a question perspective sometimes so at the risk of oversimplifying, the patent holders or the companies that develop the IP would argue that they're forced to negotiate on terms, but implementers face no corresponding or effective compulsion to come to the negotiating table. And this is what we to, um, term the problem of patent holdouts, where you might go and influence something um, and do everything you can to avoid paying the fees. On the flip side, implementers complain about hold up. Where a patent holder tries to use the essentiality of the patent to extract higher fees from uh from would-be implementers. So and then early league drafts of the Commission's proposal were strongly criticized or warmly welcomed, uh, depending on which camp you were in. The holders saw it as adding uh or patent holders saw it as adding potential for further delays by would-be licensees who wanted to hold out and would make the problem worse, for instance. Uh this kind of changed in the days uh in the run-up to the actual publication of the proposal the commission altered some aspects of the the sort of process they wanted to to introduce for determining FRAND um to address concerns about the implications it would have for companies who operate sort of across um, many, many jurisdictions but patent holders were still unhappy but now also the implementers are also disappointed with the proposal saying it no longer lives up to what it was trying to do in the first place
0: Right, so we're in the unhappy situation if you're the European Commission, if you're Thierry Breton, the commissioner responsible for this area, that actually you've brought forward this proposal to start dealing with certain elements of the system as you've described it, but having had an early early draft of the proposals leaked, and then changes made subsequently, you're now in the difficult spot where actually both sides in this quite hotly contested issue are unhappy so when you're thinking through a little bit the politics of this and the practicalities and process of this if you're the commission there's a question now how, how do you get this through if both sides are not happy with you where, where does the majority lie so perhaps jack that leads us on to, to to going into that a little bit more if we have these two opposing camps how well represented how well represented are the views of each of those camps within the European Union's co-legislators, the European Parliament, and the Council?
1: So I think this is not typically an issue you would find on many campaign manifestos. Um, you know, if we're thinking about European elections in twenty twenty-four, or even the ones that, that were passed in twenty nineteen, um, and it's, it's very much this sort of field of specialists, uh, but of course non-specialists such as many MEPs will have to deal with that at the same time. Um, And the stakeholders concerned are some of the most crucial ones for policymakers and lawmakers in Brussels. So on the implementer side, we can look at, well, it's hard to not see the European car industry, for which we might read the German car industry, um, who, of course, have a certain power base uh, and certain constituency of of, of supportive policymakers and MEPs um, uh, in in Brussels and for whom sort of connected cars and variations thereupon will be an important line of future business for them. On the IP holder side of things, uh, European tech companies will be you know important consideration. So this is companies like the, the Ericsson's, the Nokia, the Orange, Philips of this world. Um, they'll be hoping that their national governments will perhaps stand up for their interests. It's not guaranteed either. Um, but that's kind of... Uh, and, and, and of course, they would also have sort of um, very sympathetic uh, members of the European Parliament willing to, willing to stand up for it too. Um, and I think that the other category that's quite interesting in this debate, just because of the way the uh, the commission has framed it, is that is European SMEs. Um, they are a sort of purported beneficiary of the regulation and find many many sympathisers in European Parliament. And you know the SME interests are constantly referred to in, in any piece of internal market, uh, any policy document you care to mention. But there will also be some wariness as to which groups are sort of credible representatives of small European companies. Uh, and which groups are in fact backed and sort of driven by large non european uh market players, so i think um it's a bit it's i think you can say it's a bit of a jungle out there really, in terms of uh who's standing up for whom yeah, that sounds
0: like a pretty tight spot, as going back to my previous point about where where do you form those majorities? how do you build the political will to get something like this agreed because We've talked about on this podcast several times the concern within Europe about U.S. tech, and a little bit Chinese tech more recently, but particularly U.S. tech dominating technology markets in Europe. And what you're talking about here in the description is a German car industry, European champions in their field, uh, global champions and leaders uh, in the automotive industry. And then we have Nokia and Ericsson, who are the same in 5G Infrastructure And then Orange, a major telecoms player in France, but also across Europe and other parts of the world. So we're actually talking here about competing views and competing visions and competing commercial interests from European tech champions or European industrial champions. And that makes it thorny in terms of the competing um, influences that they can, they can draw on. Whereas often in other tech files that we talk about, the interests of European industry is not necessarily aligned with your US industry. So European industry can have a relatively common front which makes it a bit easier for the Commission and the institutions. In this case uh, thats not that doesn't apply. And we've strayed there Jack into talking a little bit about the US and as ever EU tech policy developments tend to provoke a negative reaction in the US um, and it sounds like from what I've been reading this has been no exception. So could you just spend a moment or two just talking about where's the US administration on these proposals?
1: Well, they've certainly been paying close attention. Um, <clears throat> and I think the first thing first you noticed actually, I think the the proposal would also divide US industrial interests in a similar way. I mean, you have obviously many, many tech companies or you know, tech companies who develop technology, um, develop the IP and would be licensing it out. But then you also have many implementers as well on the same side. So I think you see a similar a similar similar split there. What is interesting on the US side is they've come uh, out as being quite critical of the Commission's proposal. Um, in the first instance, there was a letter written by former sort of top officials of various US agencies, who sent letters to the Commission, um, arguing that the SCPs regulation would threaten European and American innovation leadership, and by extension, European and American economic success and security which is pretty strong wording, I think, um, you know, had it been, I mean, the, the, these people were no longer in posts, um, but they're, also, they're obviously very sort of weighty, uh, weighty um, voices, significant figures uh, in their own rights. And you might see them as kind of a bit of a proxy for US government views. Um, but then uh, Gina Ramondo herself uh, weighed in, uh, in a, during a recent hearing in the Senate um, where she basically agreed with comments by a senator uh, that the commission's proposed rules would harm American patent holders and competitiveness, as well as validating certain, so say, abusive uh, Chinese practices when it comes to setting royalties. Um, and, and you know, the mention of kind of siding with the Chinese is obviously quite, quite a, quite a potent one given given the current uh, world, also geopolitical uh, considerations. Um, it's also worth noting that the senator in question also alluded to the possibility that the proposal, that the proposal could be designed to harm U.S. patent holders. Um, that would be a very alarming... Uh, I mean, that, that, will set, that will sort of ring alarm bells in, in Brussels, who, because, I mean, the Europeans, despite you know, the Inflation Reduction Act and the responses and all the rest of it, probably do not want to escalate these kind of tensions further with the U.S. So if it's being seen in that way already, that's, that's quite worrying for them, I think. Um and Raimondo said that you know US officials had already relayed these concerns to Brussels and that she would raise the issue at the next Trade and Technology Council at the end of the end of May in Sweden. So I think so basically in all, all in all, beyond the sort of European internal market type wrangling over over this law, there's also very clearly a strong geopolitical tinge to the the proposal as well. Yeah, and
0: it's it's interesting you mentioned the Trade and Tech Council. There, Jack, because unlike previous eras of EU-US tech disputes, we have a very formal channel by which these could be raised now. And we've got the next meeting, I believe it's the end of the month in Sweden. Would you expect this disagreement over patents to impact the overall outcome of the next EU-US summit? Or would you expect this to be one of many issues that are bubbling away as we go into that discussion?
1: I mean, I think I think as far as pre-TTC spats go, and there have been a few of them now, it's quite a lot smaller than the, ge- the sort of major geopolitical developments that were that kind of overshadowed previous rounds. Thinking about in particular the deal between Australia, France, US, sorry Australia, UK, US, um, things around you know the Russian invasion of Ukraine and these kind of things. But as we've seen, it does touch on key interests, you know, innovation, competitiveness, or global competitiveness vis-a-vis China, uh, you know, the national champion type tech companies that they have. So even if, you know, standard central patents is not an issue that's gonna make front pages, I think it does have potential to cause some problems in the talks. Um and the commission might well and the European delegation might feel a little bit um a little bit under pressure if they're heavily, you know, if they're asking, especially if they want to ask a lot from from the US uh during the TTC. Um but I think this kind of pales into uh, I don't want to say insignificance, um, but it does pale uh in comparison to a bigger problem that the TTC has, which is the extent to which the US cares about the process. I think we we hear sort of noises coming from that side of the Atlantic that kind of enthusiasm for the the platform as such is is waning, um, and that is would be quite concerning from a kind of uh, the point of view of its longevity beyond you know beyond the current administration. Um, so SDP's yes, it will cause I think cause could cause a little bit of awkwardness for the, the European delegation, um, but it's important to see it in the broader context.
0: Yeah, I guess it's compared to something like the Inflation Reduction Act or AUKUS or these other issues that you mentioned. It's much smaller in scale, even if it is commercially significant for some very important actors on both sides of the Atlantic. I guess with the broader TTC environment, there is a slight question whether it's death by a thousand cuts with the TTC, that every time you get a lot of dispute like patents, uh, there's issues around how the EU is designing its cybersecurity standards in, in, in the EU. We've got the Inflation Reduction Act. You've got competition over chips, subsidies, etc., etc. The sort of this sense of uh, of divergence rather than convergence adds to that not necessarily desire to scrap the forum, but a certain apathy uh, towards it and a scepticism towards its utility. So, as ever, as we say before every trade and tech council summit, all eyes on what comes out this time because there's a real onus on on delivery and demonstrating quite clearly momentum uh, that tangible outcomes can be agreed between the two sides so let's just to conclude jack go back to the patents package the process in brussels just talk us through what are the next steps in the legislative process and that age-old question that we're asking on pretty much every eu-focused podcast now what are the chances of this getting done before next year's
1: european elections so as a regulation, it has to be <clears throat> negotiated and agreed between the European Parliament, European Council and the European Commission. Uh, that is a process that takes on average, I mean, for most files it would take around 12 to 18 months from the moment of proposal to, you know, through to conclusion of, of, the negotiations on the final text, at least I mean, um, now, if we have the European elections in May next year, we are now in May this year. Um, the parliament will shut down a little bit before that, a month or two beforehand uh, to go on campaigning modes, which leaves perhaps 10 months, 10, 11 months. This is very, very tight. Um, It might be doable if it was a kind of a short, straightforward proposal with a strong political consensus behind it. No international pressure from your your allies and so on and so forth. Even then it would be difficult, frankly, but that's that's, that's kind of the the situation to talk about. That is clearly not the case. Uh, for this proposal, and it could easily be pushed into the next onto onto the desk or the entray of the next commission. Um, and then I think, as as many things in EU tech at the moment, it's kind of fate will hinge on whether uh, Commissioner Breton is still is still around in office or whether he's been uh, taken over replaced um, by by a successor. So basically, very unlikely. There's also a lot of scope for. Um, sort of delaying tactics, you know, questioning the Commission's methodology, impact assessments, all this kind of stuff, all of which will serve mainly to run down the clock. And then it's pushed into the the next Commission when its fate is uh, very uncertain. Pretty clear answer then, unlikely
0: to get done before the European election. So if those on the line are following this closely, the expectation has to be then that this will rumble on into next year and in probably into well into 2025. Uh, if indeed it is uh, resuscitated or kept going by the next European Commission. And that comes down to the personalities involved or whether Breton makes a reappearance uh, in the way in which he no doubt would like to. So Jack, thank you very much and thank you to everyone for joining on the line. As always, if you, your business or your investment are exposed to the patents discussions that we've had today or the broader transatlantic tensions that we've talked about with the trade and tech council just don't hesitate to get in touch you can find the contact details for jack and uh, for me and for other colleagues at gc on our website at www.global-council.com or via the link in the podcast notes So, thanks jack and thanks for everyone on the line see you again next week bye-bye